Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. Thanks for joining us at Snapshots in Hockey History. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, you want to help spread the word about the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, please don't forget to follow us on social media at Snapshots in Hockey History on Facebook and on Twitter at Snapshots in. Well, for many of you that follow us on Twitter, it was a pretty exciting week. I'm sure many of you saw that I was going back and forth with a pretty popular player, and I've got some good news. After kind of talking a little bit back and forth on Twitter, it sounds like we're going to arrange an interview. He was nice enough to send me an email last night. We've swapped numbers. We went ahead and sent a couple text messages today. So definitely have that interview to look forward to down the road. The intro for part two of our interview with Claude Vilgrain is going to be a little short because I'm actually packing my bags to do my annual trip up to Canada. I'm going to be heading to the Toronto area. I'm going to go catch some OHL games. I'm looking forward to going to Oshawa for the first time. I'm going to see the Generals play the 67s, which I feel like is a good game to go watch. Two pretty traditional teams playing at it. And uh, of course, the 67s also have Wendell Clark's son, who's a Caps draft pick. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. And I think the next day, I'm probably going to head over to Hamilton and see the Hamilton Bulldogs play at the old Cops Coliseum. I think they're playing Mississauga, so I get up to Canada once or twice a year and check things out. It's just a nice quick little vacation. I enjoy doing it, but we'll be back Monday with another episode. In the meantime, here's part two of our interview with Claude Vilgrain. I hope you enjoy it. We pick up right where we left off after part one, and during part two, we talk about his run during the Olympics, as well as playing for the Vancouver Canucks, as well as the closing ceremonies, and also seeing some of the other athletes, including the Jamaican bobsled team hanging out around the Olympic Village. I thought that was kind of entertaining. Anyways, enjoy the interview. See you on the flip side. Gord Shervin, around the same time, signs with the Whalers, and he goes ahead and leaves. Is there any reason you yeah. didn't leave at that point and join the Canucks for the next season and then come back to play in the Olympics? Again, it's just because of uh, Dave King wanted to make sure that I was Team Canada. Most of those players were on loan from the NHL team. I belong to Team Canada first. That was the reason why. Makes sense. Makes sense. I wanted to go to the World Championship at the end of the season, and I was supposed to go with uh, Brian Burke. And the last minute, I was practicing with the team, and last minute, um, Alan Eagleson uh, said that uh, he wanted only uh, NHL players there. So that's why I, I didn't go. So you were actually going to go to the World Championship, and Alan Eagleson yeah, kiboshed that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he wanted his clients in there, obviously, but it's all, it's all good. On September of that year, you guys go on some exhibition games against some NHL teams, including Calgary and Minnesota. And this is late 87. How did your team compare to those NHL teams? Uh, we were skating with them. They, uh, I don't know how serious they were taking us, but at the start, we started well, and then we won some games, we lost some games, but that was a different style. We were quick, obviously quicker. They, I don't think they played as physical as they could, but uh, that was a test for us. Uh, well, we needed to play some games. Uh, it was tough to find some uh, European teams to come over and play when they're starting their own seasons. But uh, great experience because I had never played pro before. I was 
maybe uh, me and a, a couple of the other guys were the only two that never uh, played any professional hockey. Well, it must have been a good experience for you. Speaking of pros that joined the team on September 26th, of 87, Andy Moog joins Team Canada and walks out on the Edmonton Oilers after playing out his yeah. option. He signs a deal through his agent, Herb Pinder, where he becomes an employee for the IGA grocery store chain and plays as a representative <laughs> for the team. So obviously he's getting paid by IGA to play there, but how's everybody else making a living playing for Team Canada? You're, do you guys get any source of income from them? Are you living on a stipend? Well, that was kind of a a grant. Uh, if I recall, uh, my first year I, I, I got seventeen thousand. Second year I got twenty four thousand, and they pay for the apartment. But we were never in Calgary anyway, <laughs> so we're always on the road. And but uh, it's not a living, obviously. And and the second year I signed a contract with the Canucks, and I got a a decent signing bonus. So. Money wasn't the, uh, the issue. Uh, I just uh, I just wanted to play in the Olympics. December 3rd of that year, John Ziegler finally announces that fringe players from the NHL will be made available. And you, as you alluded to, there was more changes in, and Team Canada switched their roster around again. This time you go to the Esvistia Cup, though, for the second year in a row, and you guys win the entire thing. Sports Illustrated picks you first for the Olympics. Did you feel I that... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> That was that was a problem right there. Is that team? Is that Sports Illustrated picked you first? Yeah. Well, the thing that we won and we were skating well, and then and we had a couple of exhibition games prior to the Olympics, and we beat the Finns, the Swedes, and the Russians, and we were we were like pretty dominant. So what happened was by the time we got to play them in the Olympics, uh, they weren't like as offensive as they were. In the past, against us, they all of a sudden they they played traps. You know, the Russian they were waiting, they were waiting for us. You know, the the rank is packed with Canadian fans, and they're expecting some offense, and and uh, we still steered away from our system and trying to be more offense, more offense, giving a show, and that that costs us a little bit, I think. And the fact we got some uh, NHL guys uh, injected like a day before the Olympics didn't help either. That was Jim Plaplinski, Tim Waters, and former NHL player Merlin Malinowski. I've, uh, I, I don't think he played much in the NHL. I think he was a Swiss guy. Uh, Swedish played a lot over in Europe. But to your point, your buddy, literally the day before the Olympics, who you traveled around with, and Don McLaren, Don McLaren is actually cut almost just days in front of the Olympics. Yeah, I, I just couldn't believe that the team was moving so much and. You know, was Dave King, how was he as a coach? I mean, I know the roster was very fluid, and that wasn't all his choice. But was he a guy that just said, look, I will literally cut whoever I have to cut to get this team to where it needs to be? Well, the thing is, um, the one thing was we need to show improvements. We had guys that they were captains or assistant captains, and they were the go-to guys on the team, and they were there from day one, four years uh, like Fabian Joseph, for example, and they got caught. And now I, I always wonder why those guys got caught. Why mm-hmm. some of the guys that were before me and they played in front of me got caught? And uh, Gishrao told me one time, he said, they plateaued. They weren't improving anymore. So we wanted to go into with guys that were 
kept improving. That guy, they're good in the second year, and they stayed the same from the third and the fourth year, and that's why they got cut. And uh, I was talking to Dave King about a couple of month, uh, months ago at a function here in Calgary, and then he told me he told me there's a lot of things that would have changed. He said that, uh, you know, listen more to the players, uh, give them more break, or we never had any breaks. Never had any breaks. Go, go, go. Because he had a passion with the, the Russians and the Czechs and the Swedes. He knew everything about them. He knew we were so far behind them. Mm-hmm. And like I, I thought I was a good player until I played the Russians. So, so we knew we we didn't have time to, uh, you know, just have a hockey season. You need guys to keep improving, keep learning new stuff, keep adjusting, and and that's why that's why. Uh, some of the guys got cut, and some of the guys got cut just because we needed room for the uh, professional players. I was on the line with Steve Tambellini and uh, Jim Pipinski. No practices. Steve, uh, good guy. I didn't play a game with Vancouver in 20. He was in the stands for 20 games. Tim Water, defenseman, in the stands for 37 games. Right. Jim Pipinski didn't showed up the second game because he, he had to play against Edmonton. I think he hurt his thumb. Uh, so I was playing with them, you know, good NHL players, but they were dumping the puck. Uh, they were shooting from the red line. The things that we never worked on, and uh, and that kind of... I, I I had a tough time adjusting. I never really played with the NHL guys before. And then. To go along with your point of having a hard time with team chemistry and offense... It seemed that you guys were doing very well in the pre-Olympics competitions. And then you guys play Sweden in the first game. You'd beat Sweden earlier, 9 nothing in exhibition games, and you only beat them by one nothing. Do you think yeah. all those changes, I mean, that had to attribute to why the offense just went away? Well, we weren't the same thing. And we had to figure out, we're starting to get better. Like, if it, You know, I, I don't know if you um, you go back to the... Um, uh, the metal, um, the way that everything was set up, you you would go in a in a playoff round with the points yep. you got against that are in the playoffs. So we beat France, Switzerland, Poland, but we tied Sweden and we lost uh, to uh, to Finland. So and Finland tied Sweden. So Finland started the playoffs with three points. Uh, Sweden to us one, but they lost games against other teams. But those teams didn't make the playoffs, so it didn't matter. So that was a stupid. So we, by the time we got to the playoffs, we were playing good. We were like, too bad we didn't start like that because as we played those teams again, I, I'm sure we would have won. We were rolling, and we played the Russians. We lost five nothing, but we were toe to toe. That was a good game. We just couldn't score. And then uh, they took advantage of their chances. But, yeah, so we, like I said, the team respected us, and they they weren't opening the game as much as they did in other tournaments. On 2-16-1988, you guys go ahead and beat Switzerland 4-2. to Once again, not a huge outpouring of scoring, but you win that game. Coming up on to Game 3, Game 3 was... Uh, your first loss of the tournament, and that was the 3-1 loss to Finland that you mentioned. Uh, Trent Yanni comments that you guys have to figure out to score more goals. 
What yeah. do you think if they hadn't made those changes that you would have been able to have a a more potent offense? Yeah, as much as they were great guys, but uh, we we found ways as a team. Uh, you know, spent two years. We got some uh, system, and then diff- uh, same guys you played with, and all of a sudden everything changes. Uh, first game, first game uh, of the tournament. The only thing we did together was a team pitcher. And that so, was, yeah, yeah. Said so, during the tournament. Yeah. Poland's top player, Yaroslav Maroki, was busted for having steroids in his bag. And Canadian Olympic cross-country coach Marty Hall accuses the Soviet skiers of blood doping, uh, which is basically adding oxygen, bearing red blood cells to your blood, and, and it helps an athlete's performance. And I know, of course, there was the Canadian sprinter uh, in the Summer Olympics of 1988 that uh, had the gold medal taken away from him. Was there a lot of steroid use or doping? Did you notice any of that when you were participating in the Olympics? No, I uh, never noticed that. I know when two things the uh, reporters in Europe, when they would interview us, they were asking. They were asking, uh, one was, if there's cheating in, in the sports, and, you know. Uh, and the other thing uh, it was about drugs. And uh, I don't think we had anybody on our team. And after every game, we uh, there's about uh, three per teams were getting randomly uh, tested. I, I got tested against Russians, so. I don't. I didn't hear anything. Uh, uh, yeah. So never. You know. I guess in my whole focus was like just trying to make it that play in the Olympics, and I, I never heard of anything while I was playing. You're living in the Olympic Village at that time. Are you getting to also? First of all, who are you rooming with, and are you getting to experience the Olympics at all, or are you focused on just playing hockey? Well, uh, my roommate was uh, Malinowski, so but. Uh, Right. But uh, we didn't, it, the things they did differently for us, we were allowed to, in between games, to go uh, see our girlfriends, wives, or parents. So that beer, you know, sponsor us to come to the Olympics, uh, the bats, uh, at a bat um, room, whatever. So the parents get to see all the games, they were there. So in between games, instead of experiencing uh, the village, we would go girlfriend or family and uh, that's why sometimes I thought we would have been better off having the Olympics somewhere else and our chance would have been better to win no distractions yeah distractions. and I know the, uh, the Jamaican bobsleigh team at a big party I guess it was a great party just to help paying for their bobsleigh and then we missed things like that or Eddie the Eagle and all those things And but uh, as soon as Game day, we we uh, the pregame skate, sleep, then uh, after that, hang out with the families and friends. Did you hear a lot about the Jamaican bobsled team around there? Because that's something that was totally different for the Winter Olympics. Oh yeah, well, that was uh, uh, we saw them around and everywhere they went, like the other the other athletes wanted pictures with them and him and Eddie the Eagle. That was that was something special. Very yeah. cool. You go on to play the Soviets, and as you mentioned, you guys lose 5 nothing. Uh, it sounded like you had a great first period. In the second and third period, things kind of fell apart. Looking back, you did not have the best. I mean, you were fourth in the team in scoring during the during the, the exhibitions. And during the yeah. Olympics, you, you didn't have the best offensive experience or oh. the best offensive game. What do you contribute that to? Oh, I just, like I mentioned, uh, I could never get it going um, 
dynamic change. The, there's no chemistry on my line. And I was just running around with them. And they're good NHL players, but it's the different, total different systems, and they never played on big ice surface. And they had a north-south game, chip, chase, and then, you know, there's, there was no short game, no drop pass, no uh, quick give-and-goes, nothing. Although, you know, that, that uh, you know, that didn't help me. Sure. I was put in a situation, and uh, he thought that I would, provide a lot of offense, but I miss a lot of chances. I got Sweden at almost an empty net to win the game and I totally miss, and that sums it up. That could have been a different if I would have scored that goal late. After the Soviets game, Zarly Zalapsky is quoted as saying in the Montreal Gazette, I think that maybe we can just go out and play the game and not really worry about it too much now. Zarly was a first-round pick who went fourth overall to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Did you feel like after that Soviet game, you, you kind of realized you guys are not going to medal most likely? Did you start to play a little bit looser in the final two games against Germany, which you won 8-1, to one, and uh, against the Czechs, which you won 6-3? to three? Well, we're just, we're just hoping. No, we're, like I said, we're playing better and better, though. We're playing better. We played well. I thought we played well against the Russian. A couple of breakdowns and they scored key goals, but uh, we were better teams, and then we were dominant against the Czechs and the German team. Like I said, that we played the Finn and Swede again, I'm sure we would we would have done better. We beat them uh, on a regular basis before that, so it was just you know one game takes all, so that that was a problem. So we still had hopes, I guess, and the other teams had to lose games or tie, but it never happened. You don't have much time to sulk, though. As soon as the Olympics end, you're off to Vancouver. And if I'm not mistaken, you're inserted in the lineup right away. How long was it between the Olympics and when you were playing in the NHL? And when you finally get there, I mean, could you just walk us through that few days and then showing up to Vancouver and, and comparing the Olympic hockey to the NHL hockey? The, you got a, oh, a closing ceremony, so we sit there in the McMahon Stadium. It's kind of cold. So finally, they closed the, uh, the the games, and all the athletes we ran into the field. I never ran so fast and screamed so much. It was just I let everything go. Everybody, we're everybody was hugging everybody. I remember the Russian lady uh, on my shoulders. We uh, that was. Uh, you could see uh, for a lot of these athletes, it's four years of hard work, and finally it was over. So the next day, I flew into Vancouver, and then I got to Vancouver. I practiced in the morning, and then uh, before the game, uh, uh, the coach Bob McCann asked me what position do I play. So I just had center, and then started the game. First shift of defense, second shift on the breakaway, I scored my first NHL goal. And I thought I was going to uh, play for the 20 year through the Canucks. Third shift, I tried to dig a defense and pull up. Puck goes in the corners. I cycle, take a shot on that, come back on the bench. Coach says, hey, Vildrain, you're not playing against Finland. I said, Finland? So I'll keep playing, and then I try stuff, and I come back on the bench. Hey, Vildrain, you're not playing against Japan. So I was... Obviously, I had a bad uh, bad feeling here. I'm trying my first game. There's no encouragement. Obviously, he didn't want me there. And uh, I could never get it going there. So 
after the season, they traded me to the Devils. And you went on to have a great run with the Devils for the 91-92 season, which I'd love to talk to you about at length at another time, but I've taken 55 minutes of your time. So before we sign off, though, I know that you have a business up in Calgary. Can you tell people what you're doing now? So I design parks and playgrounds. So when I retired, I went through a program called uh, the uh, Player Association called uh, Life After Hockey Program. Mm-hmm. So basically, I spent uh, six months with a career transition company and try to figure out who I was as a person, what I can do, work on my resume, things like that. And and then I was going to get on with an oil company, and that's when 9-11 happened. So nobody was doing anything. So my caseworker uh, told me that there was that guy that was looking for an agent to uh, sell playgrounds. So I said, playground? Is that Costco playground? So <laughs> I talked to him. So I talked to the guy, and nothing was happening. It was, it was uh, November, December, so I said, I'll try it. So I got all the information, and that was overwhelming. And uh, I got trained two days, and the architects were calling me and then tried to figure out on the fly. And then 15 years later, I'm on my own. Uh, the last three years, I got my own suppliers. Uh, I understand the business, and uh, I'm doing good. And then, so basically, I work with towns, cities, uh, school boards, private builders, uh, architects. And I design parks and playgrounds, and uh, I got installers as well. I go from uh, playgrounds, skateboard parks, spray parks, bench, casebos, and anything has to do with uh, outdoor stuff, outdoor fitness equipment. So on top of that, I do a lot of uh, uh, skill development. Uh, I coached I coached for a number of years. Uh, until last year, I coached the last four years uh, midget AAA boys. I uh, coached my daughter for nine years, and then uh, she got a scholarship at UNH, and now she's uh, she signed a contract for, uh, with a team in Sweden, and she's leaving in a month. She must have had some real good yep. coaching. Can you, if people need to get a hold of you to uh, purchase a playground set or anything, do you have a website or anything you can share? Yeah, it's um, uh, www. It's Vilmax Systems, uh, V as in Victor, I-L-M-A-C, Systems, one and at Outlook.com. Sure, she will find my company in there. So. And you also have a little bit of a social media twi- uh, presence. You're on Twitter. Do you want to tell everyone your Twitter name so they can follow you? Uh, it's it's C. Vilgrain. C. Well, and- well, Claude, I got to tell you, this was a blast. I really enjoyed chatting with you. It's something different. Everybody talks about the NHL. I wanted to kind of bring that international flair in. I want to thank Claude Vilgren again for coming by. I really enjoyed talking to him about the Olympics. And it sounds like during the 88 games, Canada tried so hard to get so many NHL players added to the roster. And in reality, really all it did was kind of hurt the team more. It just sounds like they really broke up the chemistry. And a lot of these guys that weren't NHL regulars stepped in, played for the first time in a while, and also didn't really play on the Team Canada system. So I thought that was interesting hearing that despite having more talent maybe, it really, at the end of the day, kind of messed with the chemistry of Team Canada. And as a result, they did not finish very high during the games at all. That wraps up another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History. Appreciate everyone coming by. Please don't forget we'll have another episode on Monday at 8 a.m. Until then, enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you soon.